All right. Well, I am excited to be with you. Um, I don't know if Travis told you that we were in the the drudges of sickness last week <laughs> for the last 10 days. So I'm glad to be out of that as well. And yes, we switched topics. I was going to teach on expectations last week, which would have been a lot easier. <laughs> but I got stuck with sex this week. Um, but I was teasing Trav because I said, well, this thrills you. Because all week I was sending him texts like, you know what, I quit. I am not doing this. <laughs> like reading the material like, no, thank you. Um, but also... I have had sex on the brain the entire week, so that has worked out very well for him. So it's all fine. It's all fine. That's right. He's probably going to make me do this from now on. <clears throat> but seriously, I am happy to talk to you about this topic. Um, it is a big part of marriage, and actually it is a great part of marriage. Um, it's really necessary, and it's right for us to talk about it from a biblical perspective. I'm honestly very glad and thankful that you're in this class because um, this is so mismessaged everywhere in the world. So I hope this morning that we are able to give you a really great biblical perspective. Um, but also, we're going to give you a little bit of a perspective from a husband and a wife. Um, Trav's going to come up at the end and talk a little bit as well. I do want you to pull your workbook out though because we're changing things up a little bit this morning. So I am going to talk through pages 96 and 97. You'll be able to fill in blanks there. But then when we break up, you're going to break up with your um, same-sex leader from your small group. Uh, so guys with guys, girls with girls. We're going to talk through questions 2, 3, and 4 in our small groups this morning, and as well as give you opportunity to ask questions and all that. And then question 5 and 6 you guys are going to do on your own as part of your homework this week. Um, so we're not going to cover that this morning. However, if you have a question, you can ask a question when we're in small groups, okay? So it's going to be a little bit different, but I think it's going to work out really well for us. Okay, now this is where the color being off is kind of ruining my picture, but that's okay. Um, now that we have this great snowfall outside, how many of you turned on a fireplace yesterday? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. Well, in the Armstrong house, we turned on our fireplace. However, we have become obsessed with these digital fireplace scenes on YouTube. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, there are like a million of them, right? And they're really fun. Um, we've got a Harry Potter lover in Ava, and so she found a whole Harry Potter world of like Christmas at Hogwarts that she loves on the screen. And there's Santa's Village, and then the ones that Travis and I are obsessed with are the ones that have like a crackling fire where you hear the fire cracking, and then like really pretty snowfall outside the windows and whatever. We love them. However, they do fall short of the real thing, right? They're still just a simulated scene on a screen. Again, with the colors. <laughs> we do have a real fireplace in our house. It's in our family room. It's gas, and we love it. It gives us warmth and heat. Or light on a dark morning or night creates coziness that changes kind of the atmosphere of our family room, and we love it. We have it on a lot. However, as much as we love fire, we love it in our fireplace because it's safe there. It was intended for use behind a glass or behind a screen within boundaries and a firebox that keeps it from burning the house down. And although we love fires, we would not bring our outdoor fire pit into our living room. For one thing, the carbon monoxide would kill us, but also without proper boundaries and a respect for the danger of uncontained fire, 
it would likely burn someone. Likely three little boys who never stay away from the fire pit. Um, if not, the whole house, right? So what once was safe behind a screen could actually be deadly. Can you see where I'm going with this analogy this morning? Sex is a similar powerful force. When it stays within its proper boundaries and intended use, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing in marriage that brings warmth and pleasure and a bond that changes the atmosphere in your marriage. When we enjoy it as God designed and intended it, it brings life, quite literally, and it also glorifies God. And yet, our culture, and sometimes even our Christian culture, misuses it and disregards the designer of it. And in doing so, it's cheapened, or it becomes dangerous and out of control, burning relationships down and damaging people in the process. Or we may settle for screens that try to simulate the real thing, but really are just cheap imitations. Or we try to handle the fire with our bare hands and then wonder how we ended up with scars. So I want to make a case for you this morning of why it's really critical that we view sex from a biblical perspective. And I think that you're going to find when we do so, it really doesn't diminish sex at all or take the fun out of it. Rather, it elevates it to a proper place of care and enjoyment that's better than anything that the culture lies to us about. So the question I want to pose to you this morning first is this. What drives your decision making when it comes to sex? How do you decide what you are or are not going to do? What is your view of sex when it comes to your future role in a future marriage? Often when we think about sex or we talk about sex, we make one of two mistakes. We either make too much of it, we obsess about it, and it becomes the thing that determines how we're doing. Or it becomes something that God never intended it to be, like an idol, which always leaves us disappointed and disillusioned. Or maybe we don't make enough about it. We downplay it like it's just sex. It doesn't really matter enough to affect our relationship. But in the process, we miss out on God's provision for the really good thing that he created. This is a diagram of a bus. I'm hoping you can read it well. So Travis and I were at a conference um, in Texas, a re-engage conference in October, and the speaker used this illustration, and I think it's so good and so important, so I wanted to share it with you this morning. This is really a proper view of what should drive us when it comes to our sexual ethic, okay? So in the driver's seat there is scripture, and the word of God must drive our thoughts and our actions, his standard, his commands, his truth. If anything else is in the place of the driver, the bus could literally run off the road, So in the passenger seat, we put tradition. And what I mean by that is like collective reason, wisdom beyond ourselves, from trusted sources, from church history, and a consistent interpretation of scripture throughout the centuries. For example, did you know that abstinence from sex before marriage has been the unquestioned uniform teaching of not only one, but all three of the Christian churches, so Orthodox, Catholic, and Protestant. All three of them agree on this, and they've held that view since their inception. But one thing that we need to be aware of, even in Christian circles, I might even say especially in Christian circles today, is that there seems to be a common arrogance in thinking that we in the modern era have a unique insight or a new revelation 
that our church fathers did not. Yes? On abstinence before marriage being um, the scriptural view that we should abstain before marriage. But hear me when I say that we do not have new revelation today. We do not have a unique insight today that our church forefathers did not have because scripture is consistent and it's unchanging. So then, with scripture in the driver's seat and tradition in the passenger seat, in the back seat we put our personal experience and our reasoning abilities, what we've known and what we think. Those are two things that are part of us, absolutely, but they can't lead us because they put us on the throne. They have to submit to a standard or they will also take over and mislead. And then in the very back of the bus, we put emotion. Emotions are God-given, and it's not wrong to express them. They're uniquely common to each of us, but they are like children. They're often irrational. They're ever-changing. They're easily swayed. So we should pay attention to them, we should listen to them, we should care for them and discipline them, but we do not let them make major decisions or drive the bus. So if I asked you that same question again, what drives your decision making when it comes to sex, how would you answer as an individual, but also as a couple? Because if you're not on the same page here, I just want us to say honestly to you this morning that that's a really big red flag in your relationship. It's a warning sign for you to consider this morning, okay? And so we want to help put some boundaries and parameters around sex that hopefully would get you to the same page. But how we make decisions is very, very important. And sometimes we make them without thinking, where am I getting this idea? And so I think this visual, I hope that you will remember this because I think it's important. All right, here's a funny fact. I don't know if it's funny. On average, couples have sex six times a month 45 minutes per session, allegedly. Now, why does that matter? It doesn't. <laughs> However, it does mean that time devoted to sex really makes up less than 1% of your marriage. However, it plays a much larger role than just 1% of your marriage. Now, that might not make a ton of sense to you this morning, but after you're married, I promise you it will. Most married couples who return to the church because they're in crisis and they need counseling have two troublesome areas that almost always crop up. The first is sex, and the second is money. It's a really important part of your married life, and there can be a lot of hurt and baggage around it. Therefore, as we start this morning, we have to think rightly about it. So we're going to start filling in those blanks in your workbook, and we're going to look at really an overview of sexual intimacy. Okay. This is not always true in every person. I think Troy said that this morning, right? Avoid saying always and never. <laughs> so it's not always true in every person. Generally speaking, most people tend to view sex in three ways. The first is sex as a god, sex as gross, or sex as a gift. Now when we see it as a god, it really becomes something that we bow down and worship. And there are many cultural lies that lies, excuse me, that fuel this kind of thinking, okay? One of the lies is that sexual freedom is the key to personal happiness and fulfillment. So therefore, sex really becomes like this controlling thing. It takes on a godlike status to be employed however a person wishes to pursue it. And we know as believers that the sinful heart would likely use sex for selfish reasons. 
But in the biblical view, sex is a whole life, self-giving act. Ultimately, sex cannot satisfy and fill the infinite vacuum of your soul. To quote Pascal here, he said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each person which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by the creator. So sex is a good thing, but it is not everything. Secondly, another lie that we're told in culture is that it's just a physical act. It's like an appetite that has to be satisfied. Okay, well, if it's strictly biology, then why is divorce? Why is rape? Why is sexual abuse so devastating? Because it's not just biology. Sex affects our heart, our inward being, not just the body. I lost my place. Okay, sin, which first and foremost is a disorder of the heart, therefore has a big impact on sex. Scripture would say that we are comprised of body, soul, and spirit. 1 Corinthians 6 helps us see that sex is really a mingling of souls. And so you can understand then that ripping two lives apart that have been joined sexually hurts. It's one of the reasons that God reserves sex for marriage because it is a powerful bonding agent meant to cement two lives together for a lifetime. And the third lie that culture feeds us is if it feels right, it's got to be right. Too many people are adopting the Disney approach to life. Just follow your heart because your heart can't be wrong. But this is problematic, right? For all the same reasons of why we put emotion in the back of our bus. Because just because we feel something does not make it right or true. Trav found this uh, example, and I think it's really good here, in a recent interview with Adele and Oprah. Adele told Oprah that she divorced her husband not because she didn't love him anymore, but because she wasn't in love with him anymore. She said she didn't feel like keeping it up. And in response, Oprah said to her, oh, wow, what a great message for women to hear, for those who aren't 100% happily married. What? She basically inserted a divorce clause for all women watching that if you don't feel like you're in love anymore, you can leave. Why? Because your personal feelings are most important. Now I'll tell you right now that many times we don't feel in love, but we choose love anyway, right? This is really a perfect example of the devastating consequences that get unleashed when we let our emotions drive us. It's a terrible way to operate, and in the case of what Adele shared, it's a huge lie. The opening lines of the Bible in Genesis 1-2 put everything into great perspective for us when it says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Our lives are meant to revolve around the God of the universe. We belong to him and the bodies that he's given us are not meant for personal gratification and doing what feels right but for God glorification and doing what is right. And yes, sex falls into that category. Now many people also view sex as gross and that might be you this morning, I don't know. Travis and I grew up in the true love waits era of church history, the just say no days. And this was super prevalent. Um, But in order to get kids to say no, often sex was described in words and ways that made us feel ashamed or disgusted for even thinking about it or wanting to experience it. 
I love this super funny quote from a pastor in Missouri. His name is Ted Cunningham. And he said when he was talking about how the church often got this messaging wrong, that kind of the bottom line that we taught was sex is dirty, sex is gross, and it's wrong. So make sure to save it for the one you love. (laughs) That's a hard switch, isn't it, to flip? So what is the proper view then? Well, it's to see sex for what it really is. It's a gift for use within marriage between a man and a woman only. Tim Keller said it like this. Sex is perhaps the most powerful God-created way to help you give your entire self to another being. Sex is God's appointed way for two people to reciprocally say to another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. And according to the Bible, a covenant is necessary for sex because it creates a place of security for vulnerability and intimacy. And though a marriage covenant is necessary for sex, sex is also necessary for the maintenance of the covenant. It is your covenant renewal service every time. Every sex act is supposed to be a uniting act. It is radically dissonant to give your body to someone to whom you will not also commit your whole life. C.S. Lewis likened sex without marriage to tasting food without swallowing or digesting. You miss out on the full satisfying experience. Okay, so a starting place then for us this morning is to believe that the body is good. The body is good and the body is from God. Psalm 139 reminds us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, each one of us. And in the Garden of Eden and Genesis, we're told that God made male and female and his response to his creation is that it was good. No mistakes. Therefore, Adam and Eve could be naked and unashamed before one another. And the same is true for us within marriage. Secondly, we need to believe that sex is good. Genesis 1.28 says, And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply And fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is a biblical mandate from God himself. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Sex helps us make babies, but it's also pleasurable. In fact, God gave parts of our anatomy that have zero function outside of pleasure. And that is because sex within marriage is good without any shame or guilt. In Song of Solomon 5, 1, this is at the wedding of Solomon and his bride, and God says, eat, friends, drink, have your your fill, because sex is a gift from God. So enjoy it. Third, we need to believe that sex is actually an opportunity to glorify God. And I know that one is a mind bender. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So eating, drinking, even having sex. It is possible and it is important that we do all of it to the glory of God. Now when it comes to sex, I think that we glorify God by the way that we treat our spouse, by putting the needs of our spouse before ourselves and serving them, delighting in them and who they are and how God made them and how he gave them to you as his good gift. But I also think that we glorify God by the way that we handle sex and our restraint from it before we are married. The final thing that we need to believe about sex 
is that sex is designed for marriage. And I want to look at those two scriptures on the screen with you. 1 Corinthians 7, 2 and 9 says, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And Hebrews 13.4, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Now the world tells us that any time, any place, and any person is a green light for sex, right? But God says, no, there is a time, there is a place, and there is a person, and that is the person that you're married to. Then you've got the green light. Sex is designed for marriage and marriage alone. You've got excellent scriptures in your workbook this week regarding purity and our pursuit of it. Um, So I really want to encourage you to read through those and to even pray through those that God would help you personally. You're responsible for you. So ask him to help you pursue purity in your relationship. But before Trav comes up, just to talk a little bit on why pursuing purity matters and how you might do that. I want to tell you a little story about us um, and our pursuit of purity while we were dating. Now, if I would have taught on expectations last week, then I would have shared with you that I was actually in a class very similar to the one that you're in, like 20-some years ago in California, of all places. Um, And I was with a different guy. And I realized really quickly that our expectations were like, light years apart. And it made me realize this was never going to work. In all my prior relationships, only God knows why I kept making the same mistake, but I kept dating guys who constantly pushed me away from God's design for sex and instead toward their desires being met. But when I met Travis, for a thousand reasons, he was so radically different. And he led us really well in this area. And one of my very favorite moments in our dating life is when I realized he was so different because he took our purity so seriously. He um, drove a truck back in those days. And he had, uh, one day I noticed a little picture of me like on his dash right by his speedometer. And I was like, oh, he has a picture of me. And then I like looked over there and I'm like, what is on my picture? And I realized like it was written. There were words all over the picture. And so I leaned in and I, I read it. And this is what it said. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That he wrote, that scripture, it was 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, and he wrote it all over that picture. And he told me that he did it so that when he drove to my apartment before he got out of his truck to come see me, he would be freshly reminded every time that I was not his yet, that I was bought with a price, and that he needed to glorify God with his body, but also with the way that he treated mine. And so he took that seriously, and... Um, I just can't tell you, in fact, it almost makes me cry thinking about it, but I can't tell you how um, loved, protected, cherished, and safe that made me feel, and how opposite of how many other guys made me feel differently, guys who proclaimed to, to know Christ, but who treated me very differently. 
And so we weren't perfect in our relationship, but it was pretty great. And we both had the same goal, which was to honor God with our pursuit of purity and to honor the sanctity of marriage and God's design of it. And I know God blessed us because of that. And I share that with you this morning because I love him for that. I I still respect him so much for having that high view of God even while we dated because it has just continued in our marriage. Um, And listen, our desire for one another in those days, and still today, uh, was strong and getting stronger as we approached our wedding day. But the Holy Spirit helped us submit to God to do what was right and to do what was honorable in that journey. And so this morning, he is going to just share a little bit with you about how you might do that in your relationship as well. Thanks, babe. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny that now that I think about it, um, that picture is next to the speedometer. <laughs> Didn't want to break speed limits on the road or other limits within our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Slow us down. But thank you for sharing that, babe. If you want to put it on that scripture. Yep. It's um, so grateful for Steph sharing. I, I thought it was important that we would have a female perspective on some of these topics. Because so from a male side of things, we can say, you know, hopefully teach it well. But I think the female perspective is important too, so that you have a really clear, big, holistic kind of view of, of these things. And so thanks, Steph, for mm-hmm. sharing that. I yeah, appreciate it. Um, Song of Songs. I can still remember this to this day. Junior high ministry for 13 years. Actually, Ellie was one of my assistants for a while. God bless her for her service. Um, <laughs> but working with what I lovingly refer to as pre-people. Like they're almost people. Like they're learning to walk and talk and chew gum at the same time, you know. Um, it was always fascinating working with junior high kids, and I love junior high kids, don't get me wrong, um, but I can remember having a small group with these boys, and sitting in the small group, they're like, you know what, Travis, I don't really like to read the Bible, because I just think it's boring, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Have you, have you actually read the Bible? <laughs> and then I just kind of like, I don't know, lack of judgment in the moment, and I was like, guys, do you realize that in the Bible, there's a book called the Song of Songs, and the couple in that book has sex twice? And all of a sudden, one of the boys was like, excuse me, pastor, what page of the Bible are we on? (laughs) (laughs) And so he flips the Song of Songs. And thankfully, if you know the Song of Songs, it's it's couched within this beautiful poetic language. And they couldn't quite crack the code, you know, and figure out what's going on. It's like, I see these imageries. I see him, like, talking about her neck and her hair and, you know, whatever else. And and so they they couldn't figure out what was happening. But uh, it's a racy (laughs) book. Matter of fact, Hebrew children, guys in particular, Hebrew young males, couldn't read the Song of Songs until they were 16 years old because it is racy. And I think it's awesome that God places it in the Bible because it is important. So in thinking about pursuing purity, there's this great picture of that within the Song of Songs written by Solomon. And some of you are like, wait a minute, Solomon, didn't we know he had like seven or wives during the concubines? He's not exactly the poster child for purity. Mm. Well, this is before he kind of went on a train wreck of relationships. Mm. This was early on where he did it, he did it right. And I just want to point out an episode, almost kind of like a snapshot from the relationship that Solomon had with a woman named the Shulamite girl. And it's super cool. And so there's just one little segment that I want to unpack for you guys and talk about the importance of purity within 
a relationship. So here's Solomon the Shulamite. They've met. They've gone on dates together. And things are starting to heat up passionately between the two of them. And so here's what occurs in this verse. He's brought me to his banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. We think about the imagery here, okay? A banner. A banner basically was a military insignia, and if you were a soldier, you ran up underneath that banner because that was the nation you were identified with, right? And so here, she is underneath his banner, and his banner over her is love, his his declaration of his love for her. And she feels so protected, so provided for, so promoted and pursued in that relationship that she loves being underneath his banner, right? So that's kind of, that's kind of the imagery of that. And then because she feels so esteemed and valued and promoted and protected, her passion for him is increasing, and so she says this, refresh me with raisin cakes. It seems kind of funny, doesn't it? Refresh me with raisin cakes? What's a raisin cake anyway, you know? Here's what's cool. Back in that ancient culture, raisin, raisin cakes were considered to be an aphrodisiac. They were to stimulate sexual desires. So she's like, I have desire for you, right? Sustain me with this I'm, because I'm lovesick. And notice too that like, God doesn't look at this couple and be like, okay, these sexual feelings you have, what in the world are you thinking? You need to stuff those sexual feelings. No, those sexual feelings are, are natural and good, right? However, <laughs> instead of going down the path of where sexual desires will lead, what's kind of awesome is Solomon is going to take the lead in this situation, okay? Because here's what's happening. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. What kind of position is that? That's an intimate position. Okay, you better know someone really well if you're being held like that. <laughs> but this is when Solomon speaks up. Okay, it's important to know who's speaking. Solomon says, right, Swear to me, you daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you will not disturb or awaken my love until she pleases. When does love desire to be awakened? In marriage. It's almost like Solomon's seeing this beautiful woman and going, okay, oh my gosh, she is so hot. And we love each other and we want each other. But then he says, let's wait. Let's wait. These desires we have are good, but let's wait. Let's wait. Because there's a place for this and it's going to be amazing and we won't have any regrets because we're going to wait for that place, and that's in marriage. And so I just want to encourage you guys in this class. Man, this is so hard, this part of our relationship. It really is, but it's so worth it. If you're willing to do the hard things, if you read scripture, if you're willing to do the hard things and be obedient to the word of God, on the other side of that is such an incredible blessing. And in this area in particular, in this area in particular, this is hard. But guys, if you lead out, if you lead out in this area of your relationship, your significant other will respect you all the more. They really will. And I know, I, again, I know it's hard, but it is so worth it because it's God's design and desire for this to occur within marriage. And so understand, God is not some prude who doesn't like love sex. <laughs> he created it and designed it for marriage. And so 
wait for it. All good things come to those who wait. And then on your wedding day, you won't have any regrets. You won't. And so I just want to encourage you that, guys, in particular. Um, let me say this. <clears throat> I realize that all of us in this room, to a certain degree, we're sexually broken people because we're sinners. Right? We all are. And so we need to be reminded of the gospel and its power in our lives and the implications of the gospel and how that is so important to the renewing of our minds and helping us to heal and help us to realize how loved we are by the God of this universe, right? And so when I think about, when I think about this area where most of us maybe, if not all of us, have messed up to a certain degree, I want to encourage you as well with the gospel message. I want you to think about this, right? I went so many 13 years there with junior high students. I talked to a lot of kids who had given themselves sexually to someone else. And with tears in their eyes, many of them talked about how they felt like they were damaged. They felt like they weren't worth anything anymore. They felt like they could never get married in the future because they considered themselves, at least in their own eyes, that they were damaged goods. And so like, what do I do in that situation? How do I help this young person come along f who feels this way about themselves, who sees them, their self in a certain light because of what they've done? And I remember an illustration from this guy that he gave to, to remind me and hopefully remind these students I've talked to over the years of the power of the gospel. And the illustration goes like this. This guy took out a $20 bill and he talked to all these students he's like, how much is this $20 bill worth? What's its value? And everyone's like, $20. Absolutely. He's like, okay, if I wad this $20 bill up and I throw it on the ground, I stomp on it, and then I pick up it out of the trash can, and I wad it, even though it may have tears and, and bent edges, I said, he's like, how much is it worth? $20. It hasn't lost its value. Guys, I want to tell you something. The enemy wants to make you feel devalued because of maybe what you've done. But Jesus, by the cross, wants to remind you of what he did at Calvary that should give you value, right? The enemy wants to throw back in your face what you've done. Christ wants to remind you, no, look what Jesus did. Look what he's done for you at Calvary. Our past can trip us up and cause a lot of hurt and pain. But the present reality of what Jesus did at the cross can heal us in some deep ways. Because what is something worth? In our world today, what is something worth? Well, it depends on what someone's willing to pay for it, right? What was Jesus willing to pay for each one of us? He gave his life at Calvary. Paying your sin debt, he forgave you of all of your sins, right? To give you a bright new future and a past that has been forgiven. No longer do you have to be reminded of the painful past, but you can come underneath the reality, the present reality of all that the cross communicates to your heart.
how deeply loved you are by the God of this universe, how valued you are by God. I hope and I pray that's an encouragement to you, to all of us, because in some ways we need to remind us and remind ourselves of the gospel. Purity matters, and God loves purity within relationships. And I just want to encourage you, if this has been something that's been a struggle, you've messed up, remind yourself the gospel. Um, we want to move here into our small groups. And I know this is a little bit different today, but we want to get into our groups with uh, the guys that are in our group and the girls off of their female leader and the guys with their guy leader. And we're going to talk about part two, three, and four. And I hope it's a great conversation. And um, have a great time with that. Okay, guys? Put me on for one sec. Yes. Also, we want to encourage you with um, your homework this week is excellent. And there's a lot of great questions. Um, and even as you work through that, that point five and six, there's probably a lot that your mind is going to swirl with. So we want to just say this to you. We want to help set you up for good outcomes <laughs> and good choices. So, um, you know, we, we don't need to lay a bunch of rules or anything on you, but I would just say that if you are um, dating, that this is something for you to do on your own. Um, you can discuss it to a degree with your dating partner, um, but this becomes a lot more important when you are engaged and when you are closer to your wedding. And so um, ask the Lord, pump, pump the brakes a little bit, ask the Lord if it, this is something that you need to talk about um, with your partner, and then if you do, and particularly if you're engaged, that's a great, it is a good thing, you do need to talk about it, set yourself up for success. Don't do this like in your dark apartment with candles glowing at 11 o'clock at night <laughs> because you may go into it with great intentions and it may end up something very different, okay? So be wise. Go to a restaurant. Be in a public place. Don't go and sit next to people that can hear your whole conversation, but you know what I'm saying. Um, be smart about this. And I would just encourage you, there are excellent articles in here. They have, um, the Watermark team has just given fabulous resources. So use it. Read it. Take it to heart. Um, there's a great even um, talk about sex from the porch in here where they give you a link and you can go listen to it. Uh, but we hope that this time, our small group time, will also be something that will benefit you. So if you have a question, this is why we wanted to break up with people that you have built a little relationship with. Feel free to ask it. We're here for you. We're here to help you. Um, 